Boat Trader, America's largest boating marketplace, offering easy financing and over 100,000 boat listings to choose from. Sell, find, and finance new or used boats on America's largest boating marketplace. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com What is going on, boys and girls? Welcome once again to the Bass Kayak and Beers podcast. It's your boy Armando. I have a great episode for you today, as always. I got Rolando Nandine, who just won the Southeast Texas Kayak Bass League. I almost did the whole thing on one take. Southeast Texas Kayak Bass League. So he just won, and it's on Conroe. I'm sorry, on Conroe, Texas. It's a great lake. First time he fished that lake, and we're going to be talking about his big win. Rolando Nandine, as some of you know, or most of you know, live in Texas. He is a local Texas hammer. I've had him last year on the podcast and we talked a little bit about him going on national trails and i've said it all along i called it once this dude got into national trails everybody was going to remember his name and on the national level doing the hobie bos the guy is slaying it he already won the first i think he won the first event at the hobie bos at toledo bend so both in the national trail and the local trails this guy is a hammer and winning a bunch of checks and taking down a bunch of names so it's always a pleasure to have him on the podcast he's been on my podcast i think a couple of times he's also been on the uh a reel down a couple of times with some of his wins so it's always a pleasure to have Rolando Nandine join us if you ever fish with Rolando Nandine you're going to be amazed at his knowledge and the dude carries like 16 rods on a kayak I'm sure he holds the world record for most rods on a kayak for bass fishing tournament. So, but I mean, the guy, you know, proven that he knows what he's doing, both nationally and locally. As far as, far as my week, um, kind of recording kind of late is Sunday. Um, we, I had to go to Puerto Rico, last minute dentist appointment. I think he did some kind of major uh, dental work done and it was a lot cheaper to do in Puerto Rico than it is to do here so just a quick fly over there stay at my parents house got there at midnight then flew back the next day after the procedure was done so kind of tired I couldn't record earlier so my apologies to Brian Schiller our fearless CEO of Paddle and Fins I'm turning this episode a little bit late for upload but I'm sure he'll forgive me. Other than that, I am fishing Possum Kingdom with Jeremy McCormick. If you don't know Jeremy McCormick, go follow Jeremy McCormick. I think it's Jeremy McCormick Fishing on Instagram. Great dude. He's, uh, I mean, he's been a great supporter to my podcast. It's, I've had the pleasure to fish with him, um, and he's a great dude. So go follow him, Jeremy McCormick Fishing on Instagram, something like that. But just follow Jeremy McCormick on Instagram. Look under Jeremy McCormick. You'll find a thumbnail with him holding a fish so a great dude and again looking forward to putting some content out there for instagram and social media hopefully we'll get to find those spots near those ramps where mark pernograph was 
able to earn his nickname possum king so we'll see anyways a big thank you to our sponsor douglas rock go to douglasoutdoors.com check out the full lineup of lrs x matrix and fly fishing walk wow i can't speak today fly fishing rods award-winning fly fishing rods go check them out douglasoutdoors.com we go to a few waypoints commercial then we'll bring rolando nandin right in this upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears. Multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. What is going on, my buddy? Hey, what's going on, Armando? It's a pleasure to have you again on the podcast. I'm sure it's not going to be the last time either with the success you've found throughout the last couple of years in kayak fishing man congratulations on the conroe <laughs> um trail down in southeast texas kayak bass league how was it i uh, appreciate it Armando. thank you for having me on it was it was good um <clears throat> it was actually uh you know it's one of those lakes never but you know it's first time on it and uh being a recreational lake uh it, it does make it a bit tough to uh to bass fish around and all that but uh nevertheless i always love a challenge and uh it makes it fun you know so i did have a good time um weather was a bit hot so i don't do a lot of bass fishing in the summer but uh, i'm actually enjoying it because it's teaching me to you know put those electronics to work you know yeah man it's been crazy it's th since the calendar turned to june it's been yeah. like a hundred degrees since the first week of june like straight i can't believe tomorrow monday tomorrow's gonna be the 27th and we're gonna be in the i think high 80s low 90s i was so excited to see that I'm yeah like, i contact jeremy mccormick and i'm like dude we gotta go fishing man it's, <laughs> we not, may not see this day again until sometime september but it's yeah. kind of crazy because the last time i've seen summer this hot this early was about I want to say four summers ago and it was like may we were hitting 100 degrees and then when august came along we were in the mid eight mid 90s high 80s throughout most of august so i'm crossing my fingers finger you know hoping yeah. august is going to be mild 
yeah hopefully we, you know we hopefully it rolled in a little bit sooner but you know it doesn't mean that it'll drag on and maybe it'll cut out a little bit quicker there the heat but yeah hopefully it does we'll see yeah man fishing has been extremely tough as of late um but anyways let's talk about your event conroe you said your first time you're fishing is a recreational lake uh put the electronics to work how did it play out for you first of all let's talk about pre-fishing did you get a chance to pre-fish this event yeah i did being the fact that i had never seen the lake and uh, i knew that it was going to be i was going to be around a lot of boaters there's always a lot of tournaments going on on that event so i understand it's a high pressured lake plus all the recreational stuff and uh the the whole bottom end of the lake of the pretty much from the mid lake down to the south is all bulkheads kind of like those sea walls mm -hmm. so it makes for a very uh bathtub type of feel right where the water is just shaking you around where there's the 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 energy of the waves are not dissipating off into the to to the open land right so it all that stuff bounces back and it makes it hard to fish off of the kayak offshore because of all that moving um so I, I knew that I had to go in there and put some time into it. I wasn't going to be one of those blind going in blind and, and, and hope for the best. So <clears throat> I needed to find spots specifically that I could just go to. And I put in two practice days, two weekends before the event. And then I put two more practice, which is actually the most I've ever practiced for a tournament. And I put two more practice days right before the event, which was a Thursday and the Friday that they allow for the the event so i had four days total well actually it was three and a half days total on that lake before the tournament that i had pre-fished um it wasn't uh the pre-fishing was always was better than the actual event but um <clears throat> more than anything else i was able to mark stuff and kind of eliminate stuff that i didn't want to see um but you have to be careful pre-fishing on a kayak. You don't have the luxury. You don't want to get spread out too much. And I'm, I'm kind of learning that still where I don't want to pre-fish too many spots. And then you get all scatterbrained of where you want to go fish. Cause I kind of felt that way. Uh, cause I had some good spots down South, but my two days before the event, I practiced and had a pretty decent feel for the mid leg section. And I was like, I was kind of crossed between the two. So, but uh, since I had more offshore spots uh, marked on midsection of the lake, I, that, that ended up being my go-to area for, for tournament day. Yeah, I think on lakes like that, and I really struggle on those types of lakes, to be honest with you, more of a grass, you know, creek kind of uh, lake uh, or style of fishing, but you really do need pre-fishing. Because, I mean, when you're mm -hmm. fishing open water, especially on summer when – do you remember what the water temperatures were for the tournament? Yeah. Yeah. So the water, when I rolled out that morning, um, it was 87 at the ramp. And then throughout, throughout the day, it got up to, uh, in the area that I was in, it got up to about 91, I think it was. Wow. But there's creeks and arms that, uh, that go off on there that were as high as 95, 96 degrees. And those water temperature. Water temperature. Because... The further south, the further north you went on the lake, the more stained yeah. the water was, and it actually it was just holding more heat. The water, especially on those back backwater areas. Uh, so I, I did talk to some people that saw mid nineties in some of that water up there. 
that is crazy, man. When you think about that, it's like 95, 90. And it's, <laughs> Conroe, I've never fished there. Was Is it like Clearwater Lake where you were fishing? I'm assuming going, you know, down further south. Uh, lakes. actually it was it was uh it had a little little green stain to it. i'd probably say it had about uh probably two feet of visibility two and a half oh, okay. feet maybe uh two feet i think uh in the mid lake right so from south all the way up i think it's about two feet um once there's an area once you get cross up to the north where you it gets real tannic uh kind of that brownish tint yeah um it wasn't bad. I mean, for me, that's really good clarity water because it's not too clear and it's mm -hmm. not too dirty. So you get away with a lot of uh, different styles of fishing in that in that clarity. So uh, I thought it was I like that clarity type of water. On the pre-fishing, did you at any point focus on creeks or were you just like when you when you pre-fish, you saw the water temperature, you're like, OK, this is going to be offshore, nothing. Yeah, the first day when I got there, uh, the water was cooler, which was two weeks before that, and I had fished the south end. Um, I, I I had already pretty much wanted to say that I had committed to offshore because I knew I went in and I tried the shallow game, and it just wasn't happening for me. And then I went offshore and I caught a few bass that were pretty pretty decent size, and I was thinking, okay, that fifteen foot range is where I'm finding the quality size. I did find some fish shallow, but they were not quality. So I feel like it, it was a timing deal, right? Because those smaller fish will rush the, the morning that shallow. The big fish will also go up there shallow in the morning, but you got to time it right. And I felt like uh, there's not a lot of ramps at that lake. So they're going to fish a, a lot, a lot of times on top of each other. And I knew that for me, that, shallow bite was going to be a lot of what options the people were going to do in the morning and to put five big fish together in the morning shallow i just felt like there was too many of us competing for those fish in the morning where i felt like i, I was going to be more consistent offshore um and practice always sometimes i feel like during the week especially on a lake like that uh, you don't have the recreational a lot, so you feel a little yeah. more comfortable fishing on Thursday and Friday, and, and things can seem a, a bit promising on Thursday and Fridays, but then weekends come, and you have all these jet skis and boats and things, yeah. uh, and it, I felt like it shut the bite down, and, and places like that are deceiving because you practice good and that Thursday and Friday, and then Saturday comes, and you got like double the amount of people that are recreational, and then on top of that, you have all the anglers right that are competing in this case it was 75 but you also had boat tournaments so um i just didn't feel confident going in on a summer type of field day and the water temps being in the high 80s to to low 90s i was like man i feel like i'll i'll put my electronics and probably be a little more consistent offshore than i am trying to run behind someone you know finessing things but it works for some people um and I just think that it's more of a timing deal for that, which offshore is a timing deal as well. Yeah. But um, I feel like I have to compete less for fish offshore. Uh, in the kayak scene, maybe in the boat scene, it may be a little bit different. I think a lot of more people start now, you know, getting over to the to the offshore game more because of the electronics. But not everybody has mastered the 
the whole electronics on the kayak because you're it's always you're moving you're rocking it's hard to stay online with the with your cast to hit the yeah. right exact points so there's a little more challenge on the offshore game on a kayak versus a boat and i feel like uh to me i'm trying to master that a bit more because i feel like i compete less for fish that way yeah no, definitely it mm -hmm. sounds like a solid game plan um let me ask you this before we actually get into a tournament as far as pre-fishing goes what lures worked for you and what lures didn't work for you in pre-fishing and pre-fishing um i i caught fish on a jig um of course in rocky areas uh on the million docks that there are there um i also fished um what was it I'm trying to remember what i caught them in pre-fishing because it was the two weekends before it was it wasn't a shaky head it was a, a crankbait mm -hmm. a deep diving crankbait a jig and how deep was the crankbait now that uh it was uh, a deep diver it was one of the uh 6x uh no not 10xds <clears throat> i was getting it down pretty deep um i also was throwing a mega bass what they call a sick deep six oh yeah which which i can get it to about 19 feet of water uh, i caught on that one as well the jig and um the texas rig um and that's pretty much it i think those were pretty much my dominant fish catchers um you know i carry 16 rods so yeah i i usually have a, a ton of rods and some most uh, sometimes i don't even touch half of them right but i just i run into a scenario and and i don't have to think about yeah. what to do it's just it's there right it's i already have it pre-rigged uh for backup so uh i do throw a lot of um power fishing type of lures and i'll resort to finesse if i if if nothing else if the power fishing is not working so I tried my jerk bait. Um, I, I didn't catch any fish on my jerk bait uh, in practice, uh, and I ended up actually catching. And I can tell you later if we get to that. Uh, my my actual winning fish that actually put me over was on a jerk bait, and that was a beast too. We'll talk a little bit about well, yeah. that one. <laughs> yeah. So, so when you got to tournament day. Um, you already had picked out your spot. You had to move a lot. You know, did you have to switch from plan A or spot A to spot B to spot C? Or was was it working as you had planned as far as your first spot, your second spot? Uh, spot? This, is, this is tournament day we're talking about? Yeah, tournament day. Yeah, tournament day. Uh, you know, I stayed in the house with a couple of the guys that, uh, that Jeremiah, Glennie, Carlos Estrada, Clint. Uh, they all stayed with us, and we all kind of – you know, you, you, you hear that doc talk, right? Everybody's catching them certain ways. And uh, I try to not, I, I listen if people are saying things, but I try not to go into that stuff. But um, on Friday, I had a, I struggled a little bit offshore and I was hearing, you know, there was good fish on the shallow bank. So I decided tournament day to start shallow. And I said, okay, if I run a good stretch, um, and just see what I can do and pick off a few just to get the pressure off and get that closer to the limit. Um, you know, I can, I can move out to my offshore game later, but you know, even though it seems I had the good, the right plan, man, that morning I ran a, a long short, a bank all the way to my first point that I wanted to fish. And I only had two fish to show for by 10 o'clock and they were not very big. It was a 12 and three quarter, 
three quarters and a 16 and some change. Um, and uh, man, I, I was fishing behind one other guy. Um, so I decided to go a little bit more finesse since he was throwing a different presentation, uh, a, a popper or something. And I was throwing a, a floating worm is what I was throwing in the morning. Uh, I had started off with a buzz bait, but they weren't biting it. So I tried to go a little more finesse, finally picked two off with a floating worm and then, um, didn't catch nothing for hours. Uh, and then I realized like 10, 10 o'clock, I was like, man, this is not looking good. And then I turned a point by the time I got to where I wanted to fish, where I had a bunch, I don't know. I probably had about seven areas offshore marked. I turned the corner and there's literally, I think I counted seven people on that point. And, and that was a combination of kayaks and, and boats. Um, and I was like, man, every spot that I kind of marked in that area, I couldn't get to it because there was a boat nearby it or fishing it or things like that. So I, I, I continue my offshore kind of looking around there to see if there was anything I can pick off. Uh, and I ended up uh, spending, I don't know, close to 30 minutes looking around there and didn't catch anything. I went back shallow for a little bit. And then as soon as I saw a boat leave that was on my spot, I went in right behind them and I caught one fish behind them offshore. Didn't get a single bite after that. Um, then I ended up checking all those spots eventually everybody kind of shifted around and moved and i went behind checking everything i couldn't find anything offshore there and then i went back shallow and gave it an hour i came right back out and i said let me check one more time before i make a longer run and get out of this area and that's where i kind of found that spot that i had marked and it wasn't my actual waypoint it was a little bit off of it and i found this little rock pile and i cast out there my shaky head and i felt it and i could feel the rock down below it felt like you were dragging across concrete and uh, i said man this has got it's got bait around i can't see any fish on it but i see activity all around it and maybe these fish are just hugging the bottom you know and i can't see them which is sometimes typical in the summer right yeah. uh sure enough my fill a little thump and i set the hook and it's an it's a 16. land that one I throw back out. I don't know if it was two casts later or three casts later. I throw back in the same spot. That's where I caught my big one. My big one was actually off a shaky head. And uh, I didn't even feel her bite. I literally was dragging it. I'm feeling the rock. And all of a sudden, I feel like no more rock. And then I feel weight. And it's just like I'm pulling it very slowly. And I'm like, I don't know if that's a bite or not, but I'm, you know, Hook sets are free, so I'm going to swing yeah. at it. I swing at it, and it just, I mean, it just stops, right? And I, for a second there, it stopped so hard that I was like, man, I don't know if I'm stuck, but then I felt it come right back down, and I was like, oh, that's a fish. And um, and there was her, and I actually caught her. That was not, obviously, that made a lot of inches up for, for yeah. my day, but the, the true winning fish was actually a smaller fish than that because I caught it with two minutes left um caught a little 15 and three quarters which replaced my 13 and three quarters fish <laughs> wow which, In, go ahead i'm sorry yeah so even though this fish was actually the most contributing fish to the entire event right because of the inches um i was still behind and probably in second place probably around that 88 inches range because i had a 13 and three quarters fish because they allowed 12 inches on this tournament 
Um, with with six minutes left, I went. I was fishing a rock uh, uh, bridge, and there was people fishing off the bridge, so it made it very. It wasn't very good. Uh, I decided to make a quick run, and 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 this is a lesson to everybody: is fish to the last minute. You know yep. what I mean? Because I literally could have just said, you know what? Let me just pack it up. I got six minutes left. Let's just make my way back and let the chips fall where they fall. But I decided to go fish a bridge pylon and I ended up catching a 15 and some chain, 15 and a half or 15 and three quarters that replaced my 13. And those two inches got me to the 90 inch mark, which put me a quarter of an inch ahead of the leader. And that's how I ended up winning the tournament because of that 15 inch fish. Yeah, this is a big one. I mean, you got almost 25. This is what? 25 inches. You, you almost like 25 and a half, right? Yep, it's 25 Looking and a half. Yep. So for those out listening on the podcast, if we have this running also in, in our Facebook panel and Finn and YouTube channel panel and Finn. So we're sharing the screen here. And it is definitely a monster. It's almost as big as the board, 26-inch board. It's just half an inch shy of it. So this is a monster fish man congratulations that is that's i mean hooking into that thing it's amazing she ended up with 25 and a half 16 and quarter 63 16 and a quarter and uh 15 and three quarters total um was eight fish um obviously the top five count did you actually just caught eight fish or were there more that uh Uh, i think uh i think there was only two more that were undersized that didn't make the the coal, you know, they were like 11 inches, I think, or 10 inches. So there, it wasn't very many fish caught. Um, yeah, I think the top it, 14 got. Uh, I think if you, area. yeah, if you look at that, there was nobody, barely anybody called more than two fish. I don't even think anybody called anything. Yeah. It, 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 it was it was shocking because practice weekends before the event i mean people were catching 100 pound back 100 inch bags right so people were going out there uh doing really well two weeks before the event and then uh even two days before the event there was some good some good fish caught and then all of a sudden sunday saturday comes around and it's like these fish know like hey hey we're gonna have to back off on the feeding here because uh here comes all the anglers you know trying to fish for us or something Man, we'll never know, of course, right? But uh, yeah, I, I feel like sometimes there's something to it, man. Fishing the weekends, it just feels sometimes like it gets harder, you know, yeah. than during the week. And, and that was, you know, this event I felt like kind of showcased that a bit because there was good fish caught in practice, and then all of a sudden everybody was struggling on all ends of the lake. Would they all came out on the shaky head or the through, or the top through, five? Um, so I caught uh four on the shaky head and one my last one that i caught that replaced the 13 which was a 15 and three quarters that came off a jerk bait oh yeah that's yep that one yep that one came off jerk bait but um i had a lot of baits with me and a lot of the stuff wasn't the stuff that i actually had caught so i was using a technique on thursday and friday that's a texas rig um free there's a little free weight that kind of slides up and up yeah. and down and i uh i caught fish using the uh i think they call it the free rig i think they call it i caught fish like that and then tournament day i i couldn't even 
get a bite on it. Um, but I will tell you that they like uh, pumpkin on that color uh, on that lake. So it, it was a good, you know, switch that I did to that color and it helped because I did catch fish. I did catch a fish on the Texas rig and I, I actually caught three fish on the Texas rig, but only one kept. The other ones were too short. What was the soft plastic of Texas rig? Like worm? It, it was a power curly tail worm um, pumpkin color. You know, sometimes I, uh, color does play a role. It's not a it's not a big factor for me, but it, you know, some some sometimes it is, right? Yeah. It's just not 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 every not every tournament or every lake uh, you could say that. But there is times where I feel like that color just gives you that little extra, you know, one or two more bites that you needed. Yeah, I think so, and especially I think uh -huh. when it's when they're feeding on on something specific. I think that mm -hmm. that's where you know matching the hatch really comes into effect. Um, that that's my opinion. Like I said, I don't. I'm not. I'm no bio, marine biologist or. Yeah, um, I mean we don't so know either. We don't know, but uh, <laughs> I do feel like whenever they're like, if they're like feeding on shad, you know, if you, sh you know, I feel like what's going to give you the best is like just throwing something that looks as yeah. much of the shad as as you can, you know. Um, but again, it's it. I've had different opinions. You can ask five different anglers what their opinion is on colors. You might get five different answers based yeah. on their experience. But it all well, depends it, on the lake and time of year, too. Yeah, no, absolutely. All of that plays into it. Uh, one of the things you have to understand going into Conroe, it has a the forage is uh, there's a lot of bluegill and yeah. and uh, tons of it. And when you you know if you have live scope, you'll see these schools of just they look big, you know, sometimes you mistake. I mean, these bluegill get really, really big. Um, but you'll see you, you, if you fish underneath those schools, the bass tend to stay underneath them. Mm. And, uh, I made a last minute decision to go to the shaky head because I was like, you know what? Um, I haven't fished it all tournament uh, or all practice. And, you know, it's a finesse technique and uh, the summer, you know, I could get it down there pretty quick and get it underneath those schools because they were hovering right above you know the 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 bottom there and i was like those bass like to just kind of roam underneath those schools and i was like i'll just hope that you know one of them hears it or sees it since i was on rock and i just kept moving it and it it worked out because you know as a matter of fact when i was fishing that spot i don't know i probably had about four kayaks around me nobody caught a single fish around me um that i that i saw right but um, it, it was very specific where you had to cast because they were just really on those little hard spots. If you were just a little off of it, uh, your lure would probably get lost, probably wouldn't get a good, you know, a, you know, the fact that I was dragging it on those rocks, you probably hear the little ticking down there, right? And it was really important to fish it slow so that you give them time to find it, you know? So... Uh, that's what I did. I was sitting out there kind of just kind of moving it, but the, the cast had to be very precise because you didn't have a lot of time to cast over your target. By the time if you took too long, the waves and all the activity around you, you would get blown off your spot. And by the time you try to drag into that, you're you're off of it and you're tar you miss your target. So I, I did notice that if I didn't cast very specific and got on that little rock bottom where I could feel the rock, I wasn't gonna get it by. I was not just, I wasn't getting any bites. So I, I had to cast very precise 
where they were kind of holding honing into that little area when so that's i i'm glad you mentioned that because i was just about to go into that and ask you about that so first of all based on the circumstances that you have and to remind the audience that's listening circumstances are you are a you know you're like bluff walls where the waves is not scattering it's just bouncing off and, and bouncing therefore bouncing you back mm -hmm. and forth side to side um i know it's been windy um since actually since the calendar turned to 2022 seems like <laughs> it's been windy every day how windy was it that day <clears throat> no it wasn't very windy at all oh, uh yeah it, it, it was very calm wind. we had a small breeze in the morning and it looked very promising in the morning but it, the wind pretty much died down and it was you know it doesn't even matter because if you're fish that lake specifically it didn't matter because i fished that lake on a windy day and it when there's that much boat activity it pretty much feels windy because yeah. you have waves coming from all directions and if it's windy it it just amplifies it but not not to the extent where it's that much worse that lake on the bottom end i've never fished a lake where it literally feels like a bathtub you know yeah. it's just shaking it back and forth so um it's really hard to stay on your spot because you're kind of bouncing around and you know if it makes it if it is windy it's just a little extra layer of difficult that it adds to it but um, that day was kind of calm bluebird skies um it didn't feel calm right because of the activity around us jet skis and boats i'm sure some people out there had stories about almost getting run over because there was times where i played chicken with some people and i'm like all right guy like which way are you going you know yeah <laughs> so let me ask you this so and i really wanted to hit on that because i know that's something i struggle with and i know a lot you know when you have the physical element of trying to stay in your spot with wind with uh waves and traffic and all that how are you able you say you cast precisely so how are you able to how are you able to cast cast precisely now do you my thought is you go to a heavier ounce weight to get it down quicker what do you do to make sure you're casting it precisely yeah so um one of the things that contributes to my success being able to fish offshore is the 360 capability yeah. that you don't absolutely need that of course but it helps obviously if you have spot lock and you have a front motor uh spotlight that's that's awesome right but if you don't have that you kind of have to feel there's a rhythm to things out there right you you tend to know which way you're kind of gravitate to based on what the conditions are so i normally and obviously having live scope assist a lot right because i'm able to see my lure go down mm -hmm. and then i have a visual of my line I visualize my line and I have, I, I do sometimes either keep, you have the live scope to tell you where it's at, right? Cause you can see it, right? If you don't have the live scope and you, you pick you have a marker on the background where you could see that you're lined up with something and you make a cast. And yes, if you have a, uh, you need a heavier weight, especially in those conditions so that it can get down quick enough, right? So you don't lose that time of rate of the rate of fall. By the time you get gets down there, you get shifted over. But you have to anticipate your cast 
So if I know that I'm going, I'm drifting to my left, then I will cast a little bit off to the right of my target because I know by the time I drag that in there, I'll be lined up to get it across through the target that I'm looking at, right? Because we don't have the luxury of a spot lock in, in some cases or a boat where you can stay on the exact spot. So on a kayak, you have to anticipate your trajectory, your, your trajectory, so to speak. So you would cast off, if you know you're drifting to the left, you cast off a little bit to the right of it. And then that way my angle, right, doesn't put my lure when I'm dragging it too far over to the left where I miss my target. So you cast, you get in there, you feel that you get in there and you got to get down there quickly so that you know you don't lose that time and you just drag it. You don't always hit it. You can't be perfect every time because you have all these other elements that are working against you when you're on the kayak. But if you can get it in there, just maximize the time in that strike zone and try not to pull it off too quickly. And um, it's a challenge. At the end of the day, when you have that many things working against you and you're moving, you have to visualize that trajectory of cat that cast to get it on there. Um, obviously, having the electronics that assist with that makes it easier, right? But uh, if you don't have the electronics, it's still possible. Always, too, you want to head, you know, in our case, you, you want to be, you want to have the wind in front of you, right? Headwind yeah. so that you cast towards the wind. And if you need to stay on it, you, you're more likely to stay on it like that. But in conditions like that, where you're getting rocked left and right, sometimes you have a little bit of wind. Eventually you're drifting off to one side more than the other. And you have to kind of, you know, compensate for that. Don't cast too far over your target where it takes too long to drag into your target zone. Right, because then by yeah. the time you get, by the time you drift off, you're dri you're pulling your line on the other side of the target, and you're missing your spot. But I've learned that using the live scope, it's not so much to see the fish bite your lure, but what I've all, what I've really enjoyed about that is that I can I can see where they're positioned and I can see their reaction, so yeah. I know what they want or if they're you know you know, five feet off the bottom, three feet off the bottom. So I can adjust my approach with that. Um, it's not so much that, oh, you can see the bait and you can see him strike it because really that doesn't help you. If anything, that just makes you waste more time, you know, than anything else. So um, if you got the money, obviously the live scope, you want to get it, right? Because it'll help you eliminate that guessing part. And, and, but Someone that has years of experience fishing offshore and doesn't have those electronics can easily do what I'm doing um, by using your background, right? What you have, what you can look at. And then also, um, you know, you have buoys that you can use if you want to, if you want to throw a buoy out there and mark your spot. That would be the most efficient way if you're going to spend a long time on a spot. Yeah. Um, and then, um, and of course, if you don't have a 360, having a short paddle to adjust yourself really quickly as opposed to a big paddle, uh, a short paddle will help you realign your nose very quickly, you know, and then you put it back in your kayak. Uh, the 360, you don't need to do that because I can literally turn my pedals to the right and I can shift my nose right back into position. 
And do you, let me ask you this, do you ever, in this case, did you ever use at any point consider um, using a weight, an anchor, I should say? Yeah. <clears throat> um, I, I probably should. I just don't like it. Yeah, you know? same way. <laughs> yeah, I just don't, I, I haven't found that comfort with it or, or that, you know, that comfort uh, or I haven't experienced with it enough. I've used it a couple of times in the beginning and uh, I just not a big fan of it. Uh, I having the 360, I can, I can stay enough in my zone where yeah. I don't need to have that so much. Uh, it's definitely more work doing it that way. Because if you anchor yourself and you know that you're going to fish a spot for 30 minutes or so, it's probably more efficient to drop an anchor and do it. Um, I've heard that a, a dumbbell, you know, that you work out with uh, works best for that uh, versus actually getting the, uh, you know, the ones that are the spikes kind of opened yeah. up. Uh, but I, ha I haven't I haven't done it, man. I, I have one there. I take it with me all the time in my <laughs> truck. I just I just can't find myself to actually load it up on the kayak. So I gotta just give I'll probably do that and experience and experiment with it to see if it actually will make me more efficient when I'm doing that. But uh I've yet to really kind of test it out. Yeah, it seems like you and I are kind of like think the same along the same lines. The only thing is I don't catch them, you do. But <laughs> it's the same thing. <laughs> no. I the the anchor is always on the trunk of my uh pickup, uh but I've what was it half the time? I don't even load it on the kayak. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think the, the main difference is in going a little bit about, um, and this is more for the listeners, right? Uh, trying to visualize, well, if you're in open water, how do you, how do you, uh, you know, how do you use your background? And I, and the first thought to me is if you're looking from the shore to the open lake and you don't have a background because the lake is like the coast is too far, yeah. hard, then you have to, move to the other side at that point and look at from the mid lake towards the shore yeah. to the bank the upper and then then you can then you can more precisely get you know uh, a visual background and a visual marker on your mind as you know there's a certain tree that sticks out it's like yeah, if i align it around this tree you know kind of thing um yeah. now the the point is where the wind is coming from so when it's hitting you on the back then it's going to be a lot harder and right. I think that's where the that's where the anchor comes in because and, and and again this is a very specific scenario but let's just say you found a spot you don't have the light scope um, but you found a spot using your side image side scanning it's side scanning right and you, and you see this spot and you want to stay on point you look from the bank towards the uh, mid lake and there's no background reference right so you're thinking okay so let me go on the other side and look from the mid lake to the back and now i have my reference point but the wind is behind me so that is how do i stay that's where you're gonna throw in your anchor and say okay then i can anchor in and now i don't have to worry about having the wind on my back because the anchor is going to hold you there kind of depending you know if it's into sideways and that's a whole nother problem yeah so it's very specific scenarios but there is a use to it i just it is it is yeah, there's, you know, there's it's one of those intricacies that it's always yeah, going to be there. There's little tricks to things, right? For example, you don't want to do the weight. You don't have a background. You mark the exact waypoint. You can also align yourself. The, when you have a waypoint, you already know where it's at, 
right? Because you have you have your GPS maps, right? If you have a if you have a unit that has um, that has uh, your maps and also has your um, navigational stuff, right, where you can actually see where what the nose of your kayak is pointing, um, you'll probably want to get a, a like some sort of heading sensor or a yeah. GPS tracking deal, right? Because that'll give you instant uh, feedback, right, of where your nose is at. What you could always do is you can mark your waypoint. You can align yourself really quickly and make a cast and you say, okay, there it is. I know it's there, but I, I don't have enough time, a lot of time to, to, uh, to do it. But if you can, you can drop another waypoint on your position between, between the actual spot and where your kayak sits, you drop another waypoint, but you change, you edit it, right? You can edit to where it's a different icon so that you don't confuse the two. Um, and what that do is it gives you a reference. It gives you a line, right? Mm -hmm. So that you can actually line yourself up. And when you actually cast, you know where your lure ends up. And if you're, if you're dragging it in there and you look to your, your GPS maps and you see that you've drifted off your mid initial mark that you drop of your location, that's going to give you your reference of where you are from your actual waypoint. Because you're like, oh shoot, I drifted off to the side of it already, so I know that I'm already, I'm not no longer lined up with it. Because if you don't have a reference, yeah, you don't even know if you're drifting, right? Yes. You just, you just feel a movement, right? So you could, there's little tricks that you can use on your maps, you know, to like, you know, when you're, if you're, for example, if you're marking waypoints um, on spots that are very big, right? Like big brush piles, like you can mark several ends of it right the left side and the right side of it so it shows you how wide that brush pile is yeah. uh and, and and as far as length too so there's little tricks to use your waypoints to a lot to assist you in all of that right um it's not very efficient if it's efficient if you're good with your electronics and you know yeah. how to drop waypoints real quick more so if you have touch screen if you don't have touch screen that's too much trouble yeah because you got to go into your menus and you got to do all this stuff so the touchscreen obviously assists with that efficiency. And I think Garmin, and I haven't used it that much. I do do the touchscreen to mark a waypoint, but uh, it does have that little, I forgot the name of that tool. That's old navigation tool where it's kind of like a two points, like a, like a scissor. It looks like a scissor, but it's not a oh, scissor. Oh, you're talking about the, the, oh gosh, where you drop a pin, so to speak, yeah. and it kind of it tells you the... Yeah. It's a geometry tool. I remember. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It ha actually the Garmin does have that, and it, I I have it, but I I have to learn how to use it. Yeah. There, <laughs> I have there, to learn there, how uh, to use it. Uh, there, I'm pretty sure there's other features on my Garmin too that um, I just haven't played with. I mean, there's it, they're really those units are really efficient. If you give, yeah. you just put a little time into it, and you figure out little things that you can do on it to help you throughout the day on offshore stuff. That's the thing about it, though. It's like. You know, there's a few things that I've learned throughout the years of fishing, and I'm not by any means at the same level you are, but slowly learning and something maybe that listeners can relate to what I'm saying is you have to, we all want to go on the water and spend time on the water. That's the best time. But you have to actually sacrifice some of that time to learn your electronics and do your research on it. Um, at the end, it pays off. Like, you know, screwing around with my electronics is not fun. 
No, and no. sometimes you're like, I just want to fish. I just want to catch fish. No. And if no. that's all you want to do, that's fine. But when you're also fishing tournaments and you want to be successful in tournament to kind of justify the fees, the gas, and all that, then you have to invest a little bit, even though it's not the most enjoyable thing. Um, and it kind of sometimes feel like it's a waste of time. I could be casting right now, but I'm fiddling with this electronic that I don't understand. You have to, you have to put in the time. I mean, you have, you know, some of those electronics run from 300 to 3000. You right. know, if you're not in most other than the kayak, probably, and in some cases, even more expensive than the kayak that you have. And yet you're not taking time out to really figure out how you can really take full advantage on it. And one right. thing that I wanted to hit on, because a lot of times, you know, you, you have to understand, kind of have self-awareness of what you want to get out of each tournament. Like right now, gas prices all time high. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You went to a lake where I'm assuming it's not even close because you say you stayed at a house yeah. and you went to pre-fish it four times. I'm sure. I'm just going to say you spend more than $200 in gases oh, yeah. just mm -hmm. between pre-fish and going to tournament. Yep. You spend more than $200 in it. That's not counting the lunch that you had to buy, the drinks, the, uh, you know, the, the Airbnb and all that. But you put in the work and therefore you got the reward of winning first place and catching the check. You see, there's got to be a little bit of give and take. You just can't show up in the tournament and think that you consistently are going to catch in a check all the time. And I say that not to you, but this, those out there yeah. listening sometimes get frustrated with the results of the tournament, and I often do. But that's one of the things that you have to think about. You can't expect to win a tournament against some of the top anglers. You're not putting in the work and making sacrifices. Now, the sacrifices that sometimes you have to do for in your case, maybe not everybody can spend $200 and pay $200 in mm -hmm. gas to pre-fish the tournament. But you have to understand that, well, that might, that's going to put you behind the eight ball when you know there's people out there that actually like yourself are doing that to win it with all your rights. That's, you can't, you, you get what you put in. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, <sighs> when I, when you do tournament fishing, I mean, we're all doing it because we have some sort of competitive in this, right? Yeah. We, and we enjoy it. We're certainly, I don't, you know, you're not, we're not doing it necessarily for the money because really it's, it's just, there's not enough there to get rich. Right. So, um, we really enjoy it and, and, and the camaraderie that comes with it. And when you get out there and if you, there's a state of mind that you have to reach, right. To really put a dent in the game, so to speak. Um, naturally I've always been real competitive growing up and and i i was always a, a smaller guy right and the smaller guys always have to have you know they're they're work always the uh, yeah they have to work the hardest right because you have to earn it right it's not it's not something um but the thing is is that like what i notice is that w if when you go into these tournaments obviously spending time on the water contributes to that success but it's a lot there's a there's more to it than just saying that because there's you can spend a lot of time on the water, but it does you no good to spend a lot of time on the water if you go every time and you're just trying to catch fish with no understanding of the conditions, the forage, um, the time of year, right? There's a lot of variables that are coming into play 
that you're going to have to anticipate, right? You go out there to get awareness of your surroundings, to get awareness of what the fish are doing, that, you know, uh, what they're relating to, understand what's down there in the water. Going out there every day of the week, and, but not opening your eyes and your ears to what's going on around you is going not going to do you any good because you're just, you're so focused on trying to get bites that every day things change. And if you're focused on getting bites, you're literally not going to be able to adapt to the conditions. And so that you're not understanding what's going on around you for that given lake. So I hear the term all the time, right? Time on the water, time on the water. Absolutely true, time on the water. But there's another aspect to that, another layer to that, that you have to incorporate into all of that to really make that work, right? And so obviously today's, you, you know, today's world, electronics is a big player, right? That contributes to that success. If you get an angler, um, you know, John Cox, obviously that's a lot, that's a, that's a shallow fisherman. He fishes year round. He's not winning every single tournament. He obviously does very well fishing um, with no electronics and just, you know, sticking to the shallow game. But you also have to remember that when we watch these pros, they fish every year, the same best prime time which is spring where are all the fish in spring you get away with not having to use electronics in the spring because we know what the fish are doing in the spring um but when you become a more well-rounded angler where you understand how to fish shallow but then you incorporate your electronic game and you step that up and then you also understand what the species does given with the conditions, the the environment, the type of lake, the area of the country that you're fishing, you add all of that to, to that, you'll find yourself more consistently cashing a check because you can, you're not just going for bites and you're not just swinging a jackhammer because Johnny last week was crushing it on a jackhammer or a buzzbait, right? You go out there because you know that what these fish are relating to and what they're eating based on your observation. So yeah, you, you got to put definitely time in to compete at a, at a higher level because I mean, I, we all go through it, right? It, you know, I, there was times where I would go to these tournaments when I started locally and I was like, I don't understand how they're catching big fish all the time. And that's because I was just going out and just chunking and whining at the bank. Right. And that works in the spring most of the time, but you know, some lakes, that's not going to work for you. So you gotta, you gotta have that balance of things and you'll find yourself cashing a check more often when you put the time in to understanding the sport as a whole, right? From the shallow to the deep. The problem with that though, is that you have to have patience because you have to understand that you're going to suck sometimes yeah. and you're not gonna, you can't win every tournament. Right. So, and, and fish, it's not like you can, you talk, we talk about patterning fish, right? But unfortunately they're living things and that anytime they can change what they do and, uh, they don't read the same books we do. Right. Yeah. So they're not always, they're not, we're not always catching on the same things. And that's what makes this sport. So, so much fun is that you have to be thinking on your toes all the time just to get that next bite. Right. 
Um, so, uh, you know, I, uh, you know, for all the watchers and viewers, you know, you hear the term, you know, time on the water, absolutely put the time in the water, but also, you know, take the time to read about the species, what they do, understand the bass, their habits, uh, what they feed on. And then you'll start, you'll start not caring about catching fish and you'll start about open more about taking in that Intel of what's provided that day for you for the, the tournament day. Cause, um, you know, for us at Conroe two days fishing, I caught them on completely different things on tournament day. And it was just, they weren't biting on anything that I was catching them on. So you have to be able to adjust to that. Yeah. And it comes down to when you're on the water and my mom used to say, <laughs> tell me this a lot. He says, you're, you're hearing, but you're not listening. Yeah, we all done it. <laughs> you're seeing, but you're not watching. You're right. And, and and it's kind of those things where you have to have that kind of like awareness of what's going on, not just yeah, not just yeah. get the and, visual aspect of it, but just and, the whole picture. And, yeah, and and one other thing that gets overlooked is is your state of mind, right? Mm -hmm. Is you have to be confident, and you can't worry too much about what other people are doing because if you pay attention and you try to, I don't want to use the word copy, but you tend to do what you're hearing, what's going on. You, you ne you're not opening your eyes to what, what the, what the situation is. You have to train your mind to be confident in what you choose to do. And if you chose something that didn't work, you got to learn from it, right? That day it was cloudy. There was no wind. Uh, and I chose to throw stuff that I heard was biting the day before from the from the doc talk. Analyze that right, and and, and actually take it and, and figure out could I have done something different, right? Um, hindsight twenty twenty, we always you know talk about that, and and but I I feel like we just listen, right, or we hear in other words, and we're not really listening yeah. to what what uh, and we uh, we don't adapt to that stuff, but. Uh, I actually said going into this tournament, I said, man, I feel good about it. Like I know what I'm going to go do. And if it doesn't work, then I can always resort to beating the, the, the docks and just running a strip of docks. Right. I, I, that's all I could do and just hope for the best. But I, you, when you're confident mentally going into it, I feel like you fish every second, very, very competitively, as opposed to you're tired, you don't get enough sleep. And you just go in there and say, uh, I hope, I hope I figure it out. Then when you got six minutes left, you're not too worried about making one more cast, right? To catch that one fish that put me over to help me. Um, I feel like mentally, if you're going to compete and you're going to want to fish at a higher level, mentally, you gotta, you gotta want it. You gotta, you gotta believe that you can go in there and, and beat these guys, even though you don't have the experience they have. But uh, that's that's another aspect I think that gets overlooked because sometimes I feel like we go out and we just kind of want to have fun and I know and obviously we want to have fun right but we're also competing because you want to win I would imagine yeah. I mean that's how I feel I feel like when I want to go I want to win but I got to believe that I can win too you know what I mean Yeah No the mental aspect is Yeah it's half the battle you can look at you, you can lose the tournament before lines in yeah you can't yeah. win a tournament before lines in but you can definitely lose a tournament before lines in and then, yeah, absolutely and that comes down yep. to the 
the mental aspect of it. Looking Absolutely. towards uh, the rest of the season, let's talk a little bit about uh, – well, let's stick with the Southeast Texas Kayak Bass League. You're in the running. I'm assuming you got to be either in the top three or five in the end of the year race. Uh, I'm three points Not behind. Yeah, I'm behind. I'm three points behind Jeff Isham in first place. So I'm sitting in second place for Angler of the Year. Oh, Dreadlock himself is uh, first place. Nice. Yeah, yep. great dude. By the way, great dude. Oh yeah, uh, he is a good, good, good guy. And so. um, what? How many? Trails you have left on the Southeast Texas guy. The South three points is nothing, by the way. Yeah, it it's it's over. Um and the angler of the year is carrying into the classic. So we actually have to fish for it. So it will come down to the Lake Fork event um classic that we have in September, which is right after Dardanelle. I think it's it, it's nice. literally the weekend, it's a it's a weekend after Dardanelle when we get back. That will be fishing Lake Fork, so it, that that will depend on the angler of the year. See who gets it. Either there's there's at least five of us, I think, that are or six of us that are, depending on how we end up, could 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 make it. You know, they can any of those five or eight people can can take it. And then, so this, as far as the regular season is gone for the Southeast Texas Kayak Bass League, just that one event, the classic, and I'm assuming it's the top fifty, like most. Or, uh, or is it open? It's not an open, right? No, it's not an open. Um, I want to say they're going to make it, uh, they're going to roll in about 70 spots into it, I think, just to increase the pot. Um, I think originally it was supposed to be 50, but I think they're doing it up to 70. They, they had lowered the entry fees uh, due to the economy, right? So uh, I think to make it more interesting and a bigger pot, they're going to roll it down 20 more spots. But normally it's 50. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. At MidwayUSA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, Log on, and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Yeah. Uh, Chris, uh, Chris Morales, I was, I was going to say Chris Delgado's yeah. slim now. Chris, Mora, Chris Morales is the one who runs the Southeast Texas Kayak Bass League, um, and he does a phenomenal job. I mean, he's, mm -hmm. we're lucky to have him here in Texas. Him and Duke Trend, two of my favorite uh, local um, tournament directors here. And there's of the great tournament directors there's a whole bunch of trails here but i mean i, I really have a lot of respect for what chris morales is doing andrew grant is doing it it's Absolutely. there's a reason there's a reason why the southeast texas kayak bass league got to be the most populated or the highest attendance i would think of all yeah, the tournaments out here and that's uh in the central and south chris, yeah. 
Yeah, Central and South, it is usually you know they 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 usually get anywhere from seventy to eighty people, so it's usually yeah, pretty good so. turnout. And a lot of great hammers too: Caleb Helbig, Jeff Isham. I mean, the list goes on and on. Andrew Jacobs. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like I'm disrespecting a whole lot of them, but just mentioning a couple of names. But you know who you are, and then, honestly, in top fifty on that one, top seventy, he's a great angler um, anywhere. Um, moving on yeah. to the national trail. Um, so you've really focused so you, on Hobie BOS. You won one tournament. Uh, um, and how many have you fished? You're going to do this uh, three, right? The Toledo, Broken Bow, and Darnell. Is that correct? Or you have a, a yeah, couple more? Yeah, those are the only three that I'm doing, right? Um, I fished Toledo, and then uh, I fished Broken Bow, and then I'm going to do Darnell. I was hoping what? that I'd get better finish in Broken Bow, but – it turned out to be a little bit tougher for me than uh, than I expected. So, well, you did punch your ticket to to the TOC. What place? What place did you end up on Broken Bow? Remind me again, like forty something, I think it was thirty. Oh, thirty. Thirty is something. Yeah, thirty. 30 something. Yeah, that was crazy. Like yeah, four inches yeah, that... dropped you from one to like twentieth. Well, yeah, <laughs> man, it, it was so tight all the way through there. Um, yeah, I think if I would have just caught one. 18 inch or it would have moved me like i don't know like 15 spots or something you know it's just crazy how how tight it was but um so way it goes you know broken bow was actually a i really enjoyed fishing it actually uh, it was kind of a fun lake, lake. yeah beautiful yep. lake. um and then darnell if you do a good finish there that gives you kind of keep you in the hunt for uh the angle of the year so i'll be fishing that uh, tournament yeah i don't i don't I don't with a 30 something finish I, I don't think it's gonna help me um more than anything i'm doing it because um it's not very far i mean it's a doable drive it's far from san antonio right but still i think i can make it in yeah for you it's a, a far half, drive <laughs> not nine and a half hours you know for a national event is not too bad um that's doable so uh i, I definitely that's to me the six i'm stretching it down because i think it's seven hours but to me that's like the I could. I don't it know is. if I can do more than seven hours with the gas prices now. Like, oh props yeah. To you for, yeah. Props to you for I, I need. That. I need to find a gas sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> well, Rolando, I've had you for more than an hour. I mean, first of all, congratulations once again uh, for your for your win at Conroe. Uh, much deserved, like we mentioned on the podcast. You made the sacrifices financially and and with your time, personal time, just to kind of pre-fish it and and get a laid of the line and it paid off for you. I know you said the check is the most important thing, but it kind of keeps your wife a little bit happier that she would yeah, no, come empty handed. Yeah. <laughs> so I know that 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 is that is a factor there. So congratulations again. Look forward to meeting you in Darnell, man, and uh, seeing what you're doing Darnell. I, you know, it's best of luck to you over there too. I know you, you punch yeah. your ticket, but you know, getting another check when, like I guess, like I said, we'll kind of make it easier to throttle the expenses. So, uh, yeah, I and, just want to get out and there and, and yeah, no, that's uh, uh, I just I was gonna say I like I just want to get out to Darnell and just kind of go, you know, head to head with those guys again, man. I, I like going against that competition and just you know, yeah, you know, sharp sharpening the skills to to, to keep going at it, you know. Yeah, definitely some hammers over there, and you've proven you belong on that mm -hmm. list. 
Um, anybody, anybody you want to thank? Fans, family members, sponsors. You are right. <laughs> take the time. Yeah, yeah, now for sure. Um, you know, I got my sponsors who are uh, Outdoor Office here in San Antonio, local store, um, all located here off of Hebner Road. And then you, I also got J-Rod Custom and Repairs, who does some of my uh, specific rods, technique rods. Um, I also got uh, Z-Pro just got me on their, their pro staff team um, nice. for batteries. There's a Z-Pro lithium batteries. Um, those batteries, I mean, shoot, it, I have no complaints. Those things have lost me all day and, and into the next day. So uh, definitely quality batteries. And, and the fact that the owner has uh, a degree in, in engineering uh, or is very specialized in that lithium, you know, battery stuff. And he uh, obviously uh, is doing a good job in putting those batteries together. So um, definitely check those guys out. And then uh, kayak cushions, man. <laughs> Those kayak cushions are so comfortable, man. And I tell people, you know, you might feel like you might not need one, but until you try one, you'll know you need one. <laughs> you <know? Yeah. laughs> and that's, that's awesome. it. Yep. Well, Rolando, once again, thank you for taking your time being here. Uh, we definitely appreciate it. And uh, for those out there listening, if you're going to be on the water again, wear your PFTs. If, you have, have a, gonna, if you're going to have a couple of beers, I can't speak English today. I don't know why. If you're going to be on the water, have a couple of beers. Remember, just uh, be responsible, drink responsible. Make sure you get home safe back to your loved ones. Thank you for listening. Have a great time, everybody. Peace out. All right. You'd think with four of us spread out on a tiny island that the task of tagging a whitetail would not be a big thing. But as I've learned, no matter where I've been, whitetails can be damn tricky. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.